This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. And this is going to be a solo episode. My guest this week, our scheduled interview time kind of fell through. And I wasn't able to reschedule her in time to make it work for this week. Uh, I do have four other interviews booked between now and the end of June. But those folks chose the dates that they chose because that's what they're available for. And I'm going to respect their time. But since I no longer have the banked interviews, I can't just, you know, swap an interview out. And uh, but I'm going to I'm going to get that bank back up. I'm, I'm booking interviews as we speak to try to get that bank back up and we'll keep it moving. But for now, I'm going to jump the get to know mixed girl main episode to today versus the anniversary episode and i'll do something different for our anniversary episode but you're gonna have to bear with me today i you can probably hear it in my voice i'm it's all scratchy again i am sick again i do not know what is happening to me i think this is the fifth or sixth time i've had some side of some type of cold or cough or sore body, whatever. So I got my hot tea in front of me. I'll be sipping on that. I'll cut out all the coughs and stuff so you don't have to hear that. But yeah, I don't feel good again. Yesterday, which would have been my eighth day at my new job, I had to call out sick, which is not how you want to start a new job out, but I was in bad shape. I'm assuming that this sick is new job, new germs. There was like three people sick, three or four people sick this week at work. So, and, and all of them I had had an interaction with. So let's just assume it's that, but I am concerned about a couple other health issues that I have at the moment. And since this is a getting to know Charmaine episode, I'll go ahead and tell you about them. I don't know anything about them. Actually, that's the problem. I, a couple months ago, I started having some digestive issues is how I'm going to say it. And, uh, I went to the doctor about it. They put me on a bland diet, try to figure out what it is. They advised I stopped eating spicy food. Which, if you know me personally, you know that is damn near impossible. If you don't know me well, I'm one of those people who likes the challenge of hot food and I want to see if I can handle it. I have spicy food, different peppers have gotten me into coughing or sweating, but I have never hiccuped like some folks do. My husband hiccups when, when, even when he has something that doesn't have a heat register or like a jalapeno sometimes. <laughs> um, but I like to try the hottest hot and see if I can handle it. I like to make deep eye contact with somebody. It's the only place in which I'm actually competitive. I am the least competitive person that I know, except when it comes to spicy food. I want to know that I can handle it. I do have a friend who can handle spicy food way more than I can. And I have so much respect for her. I'm trying to grow up to be her where the spiciness is concerned. And yeah, so I got to reduce spice from my diet, which really sucks. And I've been paying for it whenever I've chosen not to. But the other reason why I'm concerned about my digestive issues that I'm having right now is because my dad died of pancreatic and colon cancer. And so ever since he died, I've been aware that if anybody was going to be screwed by something my dad, um, after death or had whatever, it was going to be me <laughs> because, uh, yeah, that's just the way things have been. A lot of stuff has happened to me even post my dad's death that, uh, 
it just seems like I'm a target for it. So if anybody's going to get the same thing my dad had, it was going to be me. And so I've been really vigilant about making sure that I get I catch this stuff early. My dad died at 38. I'm 41. So luckily I beat him in time. But uh, since I've been 30, I get colonoscopies. I get sc- screened or whatever every three years or so. So I just want to make sure that I keep on it um, because they never figured out what my dad had until almost the very end. And I do remember a few years before he died, him getting really, really sick and them not having any explanation for it. So it's always been on my mind. I have had not quite similar illnesses as him, but I've had inexplicable sicknesses and things. So with that memory of him and the kind of things that I don't understand about what's going on with my own health, I have been, you know, vigilant, like I said. Problem is right now, since I quit my old job, which was toxic and started in this new job, which I'm not sure about yet, um, I don't have health insurance again. Hashtag America. So I'm not going to be able to resolve or investigate my issues further until I hit those 90 days. This is the first time in a long time. These last two jobs back to back have 90 day probationary periods before you get your health insurance. And I've been lucky the last few jobs where I've gotten health insurance right away. So it sucks, but it is what it is. And I don't know if those issues are related to how often I get this cold, sore throat, head clogged thing that I've been getting. But yeah. I get sick a lot now and I didn't used to and I don't know I don't know why. And I also know that I don't take the best care of myself and I don't give myself much time to rest. You know, I work my full-time jobs and which I consider my side hustle and I do the podcasting at night and on the weekends which I consider my main hustle. So, you know, it's a choice I'm making. Um the podcasting improves my mental health and maybe the day job decreases my physical health. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But until I can make my, my podcasting empire, the full-time gig, it, this is, this is just what it is. So that is what's been going on with me. That's why I've been, that's why I've, I've had some sicknesses and, and why my voice probably sounds a little strange, but I'm going to go ahead and get into some of the questions. Do I want to start with questions or do I want to start with, yeah, let's do questions. So I did get a few questions, not a lot, but I got a couple of things that um, people have either heard me mention and they kind of want to know more about. So the first question, and I don't know if anybody wanted me to say who they were. I'll just do it anonymous just in case. I don't want to put anybody on blast if they don't want to be put on blast. Uh, So my first question here is, I know you have degrees in film and when you entered the field, what stories were you wanting to tell? Do you still have ambitions to make films? Actually, this question is pretty real for me right now because... Yes, I did go to film school. Well, film school with quotation fingers. I went to UC Santa Cruz uh, for my film and I was in their film program. It was at the time I was there, it was the heaviest impacted, lowest teacher to student ratio on campus and highest student to equipment ratio. So yes, I have a film and digital media degree, but I touched a camera one time in my time in my film program, I didn't get accepted into some of the other production classes because I didn't have production experience, which you had to get by taking the production classes, which we couldn't get into. So I do have a couple of friends still from that program who got a little bit more time on the camera than I did. But um, I would say that my my film degree is more of a uh, film theory degree than an actual filmmaking degree. And then as soon as I got out of school, I started making short films, you know, being a a production assistant, a PA on local films. I was living in Sacramento at the time. 
And I've worked on various projects too. As I moved around the country, I, I lived in Austin, Texas. I worked for the Austin Film Festival. So, and I worked on a couple of films, short films in Austin, but I didn't do anything of my own creative pro- projects. I, I wrote, I did coverage for people's screenplays, coverages when you read screenplays, give critiques, tell them, help them get back on track with the, f- you know, film formulas, things like that. I used to do a little bit of coverage and, um, and then I couldn't afford to work at the film festival anymore because uh, it was the f- most fun job I had ever had, but the least amount of money I had ever made. So I ended up going over to Dell. And from the time that I was at Dell, about four and a half, five years, I didn't do anything creative, <laughs> literally did not do anything creative. I started to get really itchy and antsy for it. So when we moved to Boston in 2011, I, I took a day job that gave me the kind of flexibility that allowed me to do things on the weekends. So I did do start to do some local films and stuff like that on the weekends as a PA. And then that job... That job closed. The company had an Australian headquarters and they closed down. And so after that, I the only thing I could find was a part-time job that, for not a lot of money. So I'd use that opportunity during that part-time job to go back and get my master's. And I got my master's in entertainment business from Full Sail University. It was an accelerated master's and it was online. So for one whole year, I grinded really hard to learn entertainment business with my focus being on film production companies. And so my capstone project was me creating a production company with the focus of women of color produced content. So this has been in my mind for a long time to always kind of do something that was related to race and identity. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's the, those are the degrees I have. I have a BA in film and digital media, and I have a master's of sciences in uh, entertainment business, which is essentially like an MBA, but a very focused MBA. And I don't have MBA credit. <laughs> Neither of these degrees have done anything for me in terms of my career. I have always ended up in either tech companies or, you know, I'll be like a general office manager for fill in the blank industry, medical devices, lighting, all kinds of things. And then I've also been an executive assistant, operations manager or HR manager or HR director at various places. So I have a I have very weird professional experience. And in between all of that experience, I would work on a TV show here and there. So I worked on Top Chef for a couple seasons as an office PA. So yeah, I worked on Top Chef for a couple seasons. I did a couple of episodes of The Voice in Boston for their their auditions. I did a bunch of reality TV because that's what I could get in Boston, unfortunately. Uh, so when I moved back to LA, I was trying to jump back into production, but by then I was already 38, 39. It was really weird to be that old of a PA, so I didn't really want to do that anymore. And because my degrees and my experience, my professional experience is so varied, I didn't have a whole lot of luck. I had no luck in getting involved in an entertainment company in any way, shape, or form. So I just continued down the path of going into tech and startups. And it's because of that. So I'm finally getting back to the question. <laughs> it is because of that, that my love of filmmaking is kind of gone. I did do, when I first got to LA, I did do a couple of film projects. So I should, I did, I did skip over that. I did a couple of film projects with some almost entirely black or mostly black and non-black POC cast and crews, which was the most fun I had ever had in production. And so that reignited my passion for a period of time. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go this route. I'm going to start producing again and blah, 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 blah. And then I had to eat. So I got a job in a tech startup. 
And from there, I kind of rose the ranks really fast. I, I got up all the way up to an HR director. I was so busy, I didn't have time to be creative again. And I enjoyed the job. The job itself had its own kind of creativity. So I enjoyed it so much that it wasn't a big sacrifice. And then you've heard me mention the the job that I do not speak about anymore. Uh, that is that job that ended. I went into a very, very deep depression and I was unemployed for 18 months. Partly unemployed because of depression, uh, partly unemployed because of just difficulties finding a job. It, at first, it was just because of the short amount of time I was at the other company. I got a couple offers in the room and then later on in the afternoon, I'd get a call saying they went a different way. There was a lot of things that sort of made me paranoid during that time. And as time went on and I couldn't find anything, I started doing contract work. And so all of this stuff was sucking the joy of film and filmmaking out of me. And I felt, I think part of it was that I felt a little bit too old to keep going on the grind, but I don't think that's true now. It's just where my head was at the time. And part of it was just... It's hard to chase a dream for 20 years and have limited success in it and still be passionate, I think. So I needed to refocus my energy. And that's when the podcasting stuff started. That's when I started to form Militantly Mix into what it, it, it has become. And so my, my passions have shifted. My ambitions have shifted. I my my current ambition is to get Main Hustle Media as the POC created content company up and running. And when that is up and running, it'll start in with the podcasting because we're already doing that. And then it'll go into film and, and video production and things like that as well. But ultimately, I want it to be a multimedia production company and with the emphasis on POC created content through that militantly mix Black Radical Queer, Blurred Comics will continue and whatever we pick up going forward. So that's where my current ambition lies. Eventually that will get back into film in some way, shape or form. I will be going back into producing films that are created by uh, POC creators. That is eventually the goal of Main Hustle Media, or that is the that is the a goal of Main Hustle Media and eventually will be put into practice once we get up and running. So let's see, that was the do I still have ambitions question. The question about what stories was I wanting to tell? I was always wanting to tell stories about racial identity. And I can you can tell that from my earliest film school projects and sort of the things I would write. I would always write a mixed race girl. So it was a lot of stuff from like my teenage years that I would kind of put out on paper in my screenplays. My biggest racial film accomplishment in film school was I did a documentary called American Foreigner. It was a short form documentary. And it was talking about what it's like to be a born and raised an American as a second generation American, but having such a heavy influence of my two foreign born grandmothers that I, I sometimes feel like a foreigner in the country that I was born in. Ooh, I wonder if I still have that footage. I don't think I do. I don't know if I still have those tapes, but um, I definitely don't have a way of playing those those tapes. But yeah, I was always wanting to tell racial stories, uh, racial identity stories because of the lack. I think it's why I wanted to go into film and media in general is I never got to see myself on TV. I never got to see myself in movies or or people that were like my family, even if we weren't mixed, even if the characters on the screens weren't mixed the same way I was. Any kind of mix would have spoken to me, you know. Yeah, and so I tended to gravitate towards any kind of black identity because that was the environment I was raised in and the the family and the people that I was raised around. So that was the way of me feeling some kind of representation. But I was always on the outside of it because I was mixed and they weren't telling mixed race stories. 
So yes, my film ambition was always to tell stories from the mixed race perspective. And fast forward 20 years later, Charmaine at 41 is still actively trying to tell mixed race stories. But instead of telling uh, made up narratives at the moment, the stories I'm wanting to tell are our stories. And to still again from our host Javia on Black Radical Queer, her tag is our stories on our own terms. And that is exactly what Main Hustle Media is about. It's what Militantly Mix is about. And when I find a guest who's willing to come on and they'll ask me, even last night, I got a question from a potential guest. She said, send me a list of questions so I can be prepared. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's not how we do it here. It's your story. You tell it. I will ask questions based off of what you say. And if you have heard the show from the beginning, you can see me shift from kind of doing interview, interview type questions to just listening and then allowing the story of the, from the person themselves bring the questions to mind. And I only ask the one question, repeat question every week now, which is, what do you love about being mixed? Because... I mean, what else question, what else would be the better question to end the show with, right? Like it's so after everything that we go through and, and deal with as mixed race children, teenagers, and then adults, there's still joy and love and excitement and beauty in being mixed. And I want to know specifically to each individual person I speak to, what is that thing that you love the most? So that was long winded, but I hope I answered that question. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Okay, so y'all have heard me mention this on a couple times, but I haven't gone into super deep, deep detail on any of my shows about polyamory. Uh, but I get this question a lot. And when I do my speaking engagements, I get this question really often as well. So, um, but, and I've talked about polyamory on other people's shows. I've been guests on podcasts in which I am interviewed about being polyamorous, but I haven't dealt with it much on Militantly Mixed. So the question that I received is, you say that you're polyamorous. Is that because you are bisexual? That was the question I got. No, I am not polyamorous because I'm bisexual. And I'm not bisexual because I'm polyamorous. Those two are unrelated. And yet I hyphenate them in my identity. And I'll explain a little bit why that is the case. So for those of you who don't know, polyamory is a love style. I'm, I, I usually say lifestyle. But it's both those things. It can be both those things. Right now, polyamory is my love style, which means that it is how I am open to, to loving. Polyamory, by definition, although they're using both the Greek and Latin <laughs> terms combined into one word, poly meaning many, amory meaning love, I am open to many loves. And so polyamory, as, as humans, we are polyamorous in general. We love our mothers, our fathers, our, our children, our siblings, our aunts and uncles, our friends. We have this capacity to love more than one person. Our current society is such that we are only allowed, quotation fingers, to love one person romantically at a time. And for some people that does work, for others it doesn't, but it is not actually our natural state. It is just our societal state. Until the last, you know, four or five hundred years polyamory was more prevalent in cultures around the world than it is now, though it is still very prevalent in certain spaces. I am a person who does believe and has loved more than one person romantically at a time. My love is not necessarily permanent or forever. I mean, you can fall out of love with people and I have, but I am capable of romantic love with more than one person at a time. That is my love style. It is not currently my lifestyle because I'm not currently 
uh, courting or dating or in love with any other person besides my current partner, which is my husband. My kind of polyamory is, uh, it's called, well, for me, I call it like primary partnership. I have a primary partner, which is my husband, and he is the person currently that I love more than any other human, really. But um, he's the person who currently has my romantic love. And if I were to fall in love with another man or woman, uh, they would just be a part of what is called a polycule, the, the group of people in which you are romantically involved in. But at the moment, it is just my husband and, and myself. For me, the reason why that is the case is because I dealt with some heartbreak a couple years ago. And I haven't fully sort of healed from that. Some of that heartbreak does involve my husband. Even though we are still together, there is elements of the relationship we were in a couple years ago that broke some stuff in me emotionally. Um, so I'm not particularly ready or interested in other people at the moment. I did date a little bit after that relationship and that dating wasn't super duper successful because I had the hangups that I that I had still from the previous relationship. So my love style is polyamory. My current lifestyle is basically monogamy, uh, but not intentional monogamy. Uh, to bring in the sexuality part of it, I am bisexual. I have known I was bisexual pretty much my entire life. I had this same amount of eagerness to hold little girls' hands as I did little boys' hands when I was a kid. And as I got older, that didn't really change ever. But my who I'm attracted to at a given time does shift. And that is not typical of all bisexuals. That is just, that is my way of being bisexual. It's not something I'm switching on or off. It just happens. I would describe myself as primarily heteromantic and homosexual, meaning that sexually I am more attracted to women and romantically, or I prefer relationships with men, long-term relationships. I prefer those with men. Not that I'm opposed to a long-term relationship with a woman. I just, it's a style preference. I don't know why, but I've always preferred to be in a relationship with a man. I prefer to be um, in more physical relationships with women. It is the way my attraction works. I am attracted though physically both to men and women and I still consider myself bisexual versus pansexual because though I am not specifically attracted to a person because of their gender I am attracted to gender codes and what I mean by that is I like masculine men and feminine women now does that mean I'm opposed to dating trans people no I am attracted to masculine men and feminine women if that masculine man happens to be a trans man that does not that does not affect my attraction if they present and and have a uh, masculine uh, behavior i guess is that a way to say it god that sounds weird um and the same with a, a trans woman if if i'm attracted to a woman who is very feminine who happens to be a trans woman the transness doesn't negate my attraction um so I view the gender, I, am, I view myself as bisexual because I view myself as attracted to two genders. And I don't believe a trans woman is not a woman or a trans man is not a man. And so I am attracted to two genders. I'm not attracted to non-binary people typically, or at least so far I have never been. I'm not attracted to ambiguity, uh, gender ambiguity or uh, androgyny. It's not an area in which I am attractive. So 
bisexual works better for me as an identifier than pan. My ex-girlfriend did describe herself as pansexual because it was the person, not the gender. In my case, it's not the gender either, but it is one of two genders, basically. So that's how I feel about uh, my sexuality. I am what I always kind of wanted as my ideal or my fantasy lifestyle would have been to have a primary male partner and a primary female partner. And hopefully those two also were partners so that we could live as a triad together. I did. I was in that kind of a situation when I was 21. I was the third in a married couple. I wasn't in love with them though, but it was the thing. I enjoyed that dynamic so much and it made the most sense to me. And it, it incorporated both my romantic ability, my romantic love style and my uh, sexuality. So I've always kind of viewed that as the, the model for the type of relationship I would prefer. Again, that relationship I had a couple years ago was that. It was a triad. And for a period of time, it was a great balance of, you know, the masculine and the feminine in my life. Ultimately, um, my girlfriend and I ended up no longer being compatible. And she preferred if my husband was her primary, and which would have been fine. We could have lived in a, in a V situation, which is a there's one person that is the anchor partner and the other people are partnered to that anchor, but not to each other. Uh, but that wasn't the way it was going to work out with her. So it ended. Um, and as a result, I've dealt with some heartbreak related to it. So yeah, at the moment, I don't know if I will ever be in another multiple relationship situation. I hope that I am, but my, I'm not currently ready. So the reason why I hyphenate bisexual polyamorous though, is because my polyamory does afford me to live my full bisexual identity, which I think is different for some people. Some people, and I know I know people that right now identify as bisexual or pansexual or omnisexual or actually one lesbian who is partnered with a man, but they are not polyamorous. And so in partnering with their current primary partner and believing that partner to be their one, they are not going to be exploring the other sides of their sexuality going forward. Or at least their current intention is not to do that. At least in my case, the polyamory does afford me to live my full bisexual identity. So that's a lot to try to describe. Um, am, am I bisexual because I'm polyamorous or am I polyamorous because I'm bisexual? And I am not. I just, I already was bisexual. I didn't know I was poly. I had to, I had to achieve polyness, basically. I've always been open to non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy which is that my partners would always know that I wasn't sexually exclusive. And I've tried different versions of that on. I've tried open. I've tried uh, friends with benefits. I've tried polyamory. I am not a swinger and I have not tried swinging because it's not a lifestyle that personally appeals to me, although I know some swingers. And um, I mean, their stories are great, but it's just not something lifestyle-wise that ever appealed to me. So I lean towards polyamory with a touch of potential friends with benefits is kind of more how I am. My partners always know if I'm non-monogamous. They always, I don't engage in any relationship, sexual relationship with a partner until we both have STD tests. I need to see the paper. They need to see my paper. If they aren't willing to wait for that, then that's a red flag for me and I don't pursue that relationship any further. So spontaneity is not a big deal for me in my sexuality anymore. I mean, I'm 41 as fuck. I don't need spontaneity as often as I did when I was younger, but I'm 
I'm just not going to be irresponsible for myself because as a polyamorous person, if I am having sexual relationships with more than one person, and if that person is not also involved with my other sexual partner, I am responsible for their sexual health and I'm responsible for my sexual health. So I'm not going to engage in any sexual relationship with someone that that is not tested and maintains being tested because I don't want to bring it back to my other partners. So that's how I am about my polyamory and my sexuality. And so the question that I got through the email, actually this one came through email, is do I feel that I'm obsessed with race? Fair question. I have two shows, two podcasts that are related where I'm a host or co-host that are related to racial identity. The third podcast on my network is also involved in racial identity. So it is a fair question. I don't love the question though. And I'll tell you why. I don't love the question because just because I do hierarchically identify myself through my race, uh, to me, it's only a question a white person can ask. And I understand how it gets asked. But I don't know the best way to educate out of what feels like ignorance in the question. So I'm going to try to do my best. And <laughs> please send me your comments if you if you disagree or if you want to talk about it further, because I do think it's something to explore. As a person of color, as a person of color, I am not obsessed with race, but I live my life through my race because, or races, because of how people identify me. If I am in primarily a black space, I am going to be identified as a mixed black person. And my mixedness is going to come up in conversation. If I'm in a primarily white space, my otherness, quotation fingers, and you know, I don't love that word, but my otherness is going to be pointed out either subtly or directly at some point. And that is in almost every single interaction that I have on a day-to-day basis. So I am not obsessed with my race, but the world's perception of me makes me heightenedly aware of my racial identity on a regular basis. And so because of that, I'm naturally inclined towards owning my full identity because I'm not going to allow an outsider to tell me who I am. And when I was younger, I probably did uh, on occasion. But as I got, as I've gotten older and as I've gotten more comfortable within my own identities, I, I'm going to put it forward to you, how you get to identify me, not the other way around. So if someone's going to put something on me, I need to block them, check them and tell them how to accurately identify me. Or I can decide to dismiss it because ignorance is ignorance and some people you can't educate. Those are case by case basis. I decide in the moment that things happen. So I was about to say, but then I caught myself because I don't actually agree. I was about to say that I appreciate the question, but that's not true. I guess I appreciate the effort in trying to understand. Oh, I don't know the way I want to say this. What do I appreciate about it? I appreciate the effort in trying to understand something different from the questioner, right? So as uh, if a white person is going to make the time to ask me a question, hopefully they come to me correct. But if they can't, because of lack of knowledge, hopefully they come to me with at least enough respect, a respectful demeanor and everything so that I understand that they're asking me a question to, to clean up their ignorance, right? 
That's what I think this was. So I'm approaching it with that. If the person had said it to me in person and it came with a little bit of an attitude, obviously my answer is going to be a little bit different there. But I think because the person obviously listens to the show when they reached out to ask the question, I think that's what their intention was, is from the perspective of what I assume. And again, I assumed it. uh, What I assume was a white person asking the question, do I think I'm obsessed with race? I think it has to do with the fact that I've created a show that is about racial identity and I've, I, and you're only hearing me talk about my racial identity and not necessarily other things. Although I am a very intersectional person, I am mixed race, I am bisexual, I am polyamorous, I'm an atheist, I'm a woman. I, what you hear about me primarily is my multiracial background, my hierarchical racial background, black then Japanese, then Caucasian British, then the rest of whatever I am. You know, it's easy to think that somebody just thinks that they're one thing or, or you know, maybe it does appear that there is some obsession there. But um, that is not the case. And I think it would be really difficult for a person of color to be. I think it's very difficult to claim that a person of color who speaks about race on a regular basis is obsessed with race because Like I said, it's how the world perceives us, not necessarily how we're perceiving the world. For a white person, for which I can only speak through what I think and not what I know, although I'm half white, I don't have a white experience, I think that a white person can kind of be obsessed with race because they are looking at people of color as an other. And that brings me up to a whole other thing, which I know isn't part of this Ask Miss Girl main thing, but I need to figure out what it is that is starting to bother me about the usage of the term people of color. I use it all the time. Also, I'm trying to focus my energy in spaces that help people of color create content. But people of color, using that term, it still seems to be putting whiteness as somehow the main thing and the of color is secondary. So I need to work on this. It's 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 a place, that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I feel about this word. Okay, and I got one more question that has popped up just actually in the last couple of minutes. Um, Okay, this is actually an interesting question. I don't, um, I haven't really had to think about it or address it much, but uh, the question is to speak on something about being my ambivert self and being a personality, in quotes, uh, regarding my presence on the shows. So I do kind of drop this hint on occasion or whatever, this thing about me of, of being an ambivert or that I identify as an ambivert. That's because I can be very extroverted when the time calls for it, but primarily I do think I'm introverted. I prefer being on my own that doesn't mean lonely. And I prefer uh, to limit my interactions, my my physical meat space, social interactions. More so now as I'm getting older than before, I tend to, I tend to notice my anxiety raises when I'm around groups of people, unless I'm able to, unless it's something I'm super eager about. So like, for instance, last year I was doing sketch writing classes and then we did a performance and my anxiety wasn't high there because I was really into it and really excited about it. But the aftermath to talking to people afterwards, that's the part that would make me feel anxiety because I kind of like to separate my interactions with people. I don't, I don't really know why. But so yeah, on my day to day, I'm an ambivert. I will interact with people as I need to, but I'll try to limit it if it's possible. I have a tendency to be very interested in participating in an event and then come the day my anxiety gets high and I don't really want to do it. 
And so through the podcasting, it's allowed me to be more social while not having to have physical meat space interactions. <laughs> and, um, and it's great for me. And actually, it makes me feel like my some of my friendships have flourished because I don't have to see them in person. <laughs> Uh, I know that sounds silly, but yeah, I definitely, as I've gotten older, or at least where I'm at right now, I prefer to have um, real life, but virtual interactions with people. So right now, if you listen to the other show, Blur Comics, my co-host there, OG Blur Vision, we don't do this in person in, in front of each other. He's at his home. I'm at my home. We get on Skype. We We do the thing and we talk every week, but we don't see each other often. My podcast, Play Cousins on Why So Serious and Mocha Minutes, we talk daily. We do not see each other in meet space. Um, I've only seen Brandon and Devin a couple of times, and um, I've never seen Stephanie in person, but we talk really frequently. Old Man Wade is another one. Never met him in person, but we talk pretty frequently. Rashani from the Single Sign-Up Class, who you hear at the beginning of the show every week. I've seen him once in person, and but we talk really frequently. And it feels good to have these relationships. And we have a lot of things that we share in common, a lot of crossover, the, the geekery, the uh, depression and for some of us, anxiety for some of us, or at least an openness to discuss it. And it's great to have those relationships and also great not to have the pressure to do it in person too often. I don't really know why that is a thing for me. I, I think it has a lot to do with how often I was left alone as a child. And yeah, I think that that is to it. And it got to a point that even by the time I was a teenager, I would say that I really liked to be alone. But I think it was more that I was used to being alone. And as an adult, I get really excited about the op the idea of hanging out with people until I'm actually hanging out with them. And then I just kind of wish I was at home talking to them on Skype. <laughs> Yeah, so for those of you out there that are introverted or ambiverted and you understand what I'm talking about, um, I bet you've all been adopted by an, an extrovert in some form who, if you do go out in public, they are the ones who initiates all the engagement for you and you just kind of participate at will. I have a couple of those. I am also that if I have to be. So if I'm with my husband at an event and he's more introverted than I am, I will be the one that steps up and bees that extrovert that takes care and initiates conversation. It's it's um it's a weird thing. It's something I can do, but I feel like it's a performance when I do it and that it's not really more suited. It's not really how I am. So, okay. So yeah, that's it. That's all the questions I got. I didn't expect that those few questions would take up as much time as it did, but I am long-winded and I like to talk. So we got a full ass episode. That works. All right. So let's help me build the militantly mixed bank of interviews back up. If you are listening to this show, if the show gives you any kind of life as a mixed race person, if you have seen yourself, heard yourself, or feel represented or reflected by any of the episodes, please consider reaching out to me and coming on the show and sharing your stories as well. I steal from this all the time because it's it's the mentality that I have about the show. But our sister program, Black Radical Queer, hosted by Javia Nicole, her tag on that show is our stories on our own terms. And that's exactly what Main Hustle Media is about, Militantly Mixed, Black Radical Queer, and Blurred Comics. We are telling our stories through our own perspectives. And I do not want, for lack of a better way of saying it, monoracial people telling our stories for us, because they're not going to quite get it right. And to hear just 
one mixed person a week coming on the show and telling what life is like for them. It always touches somebody. I do get messages all the time thanking me for putting this show together. I get messages thanking a guest through me for sharing their experience, um, especially when they really relate to that person. And I always ask those people if they want to come on the show. That's how I usually get my guests. But, you know, I need more people. We have 52 weeks a year to fill on this show, and I want to tell your stories. I want you to tell your stories through the show. So if you're listening and you are thinking about it or you're sitting on it and you're not sure if you want to do it or you're embarrassed, reach out to me anyway. Maybe we can start engaging, talk on a regular basis. I won't record anything. You'll kind of get used to me. And if you feel after a little bit of engagement that you'd like to come on the show, then we'll have you on the show. Either way, connect, whether it's coming on the show or just engaging on our social media. On our social media, it's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mix, or you can do a Google search and those will pop up, or you can email me directly, Charmaine at MilitantlyMix.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at MilitantlyMix.com. Let me know that you are interested in coming on the show or that you're interested in engaging, but you're not sure if you're ready to come on the show. And we'll talk because that's what this is about. And as always, if you would like to sponsor the show, which we did just get a new sponsor this week. Pew, 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 pew. Thank you to Julie Vanderwick for sponsoring Militantly Mix on Patreon. I'm excited to have a new sponsor to the show. And with this donation and all the other donations we're currently getting, that helps us keep the show going and growing. It keeps us hosted, uh, our audio files hosted. It'll eventually help with our website and everything like that. So I appreciate every donation. Uh, Patreon is how you would sponsor us on a monthly basis. You can donate as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. And and uh, there's different reward levels depending on what level you subscribe at. Or And to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed. And the second way that you can donate to the show is through PayPal. You can go to paypal.me slash militantlymixed and donate anything as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. Those are usually for the special event or special type of donations. Right now, we are doing the fundraiser between now and July 5th for Militantly Mixed on the Road. And actually, I'm in touch with somebody who does want to put together a mixed race mixer of some sort. So this might help to do a live and in front of the audience recording of Militantly Mixed. If you would like to sponsor to that, go to paypal.me slash Militantly Mixed, and it will go towards the Militantly Mixed on the Road. All right. Other than that, please continue to engage with a subscribe rate and review the show on whichever podcast platform you listen to because that helps get us into the suggestions to other people so that they can discover us and continue to share your favorite episodes with friends and family to help grow the show. I think that's it for now. Coming back next week, we are going to do our Juneteenth episode. It will drop on June 18th, but we will be talking about the unofficial but super American holiday that is June the 10th, the celebration of when those in Galveston, Texas, finally learned of emancipation two and a half years after emancipation had become a law. So that is going to be next week. And then we will get back into interviews the week after that. And after that is our anniversary episode on July 2nd. So we are four weeks away from our first anniversary of Militantly Mixed. Today in history, which is June 8th at the time I'm recording this, is when I unveiled Militantly Mixed logo last year on social media. So I'm starting to see all these memories pop up that show me what was going on in my life at the time. Also, I dropped my first promo on Juneteenth last year. And I listened back to that recently and whoa. Oh, that was rough. 
I listened back to a couple older episodes and they were all pretty rough. I, I hadn't gotten my podcast legs yet when I first started and you can really hear the difference. I'm, I'm glad I've come so far in the year. But yeah, we're going to be talking about what this last year has meant to me. I'm going to try to reach out to some old guests and help them come back on the show for the, uh, for the anniversary episode. So stay tuned to that. And as always, don't forget to be your mixed ass self. Bye. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.